0: for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God, without error, and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks. Again. Today we're going to clear up, or not clear up, finish up our sermon series called Brain Storms, Winning the Fight That's in Our Head. For the last three weeks, this will be the fourth one, I've talked about all of us have a brain storm going on in our mind. There's a fight that we're fighting, right? And, and most of you have agreed that that is true. Today, I want to talk to you about the one and ultimate way in which those storms are completely quelled in our life, that we can walk in the peace that God gave us, because that's what that God desires for us to to have such a comfort in him, to have such a revelation of his truth that all these arguments that we have with ourselves about am I good enough, am I enough, am I whatever, insert your issue here, those might ultimately be done away with. All of us fight these battles. We fight a battle because our finances are jacked up, our relationships are jacked up, our workplaces are jacked up. There's there's a thousand reasons why, as I stated in the first sermon we, we have shower arguments. Anybody ever had a shower argument? If you weren't here for that first one, i say, I tell you, I could promise you there's a storm going on in your brain because almost every time I go in the shower, probably the same for you, I have an argument with myself about an argument I'm going to have with somebody else, right? Anybody done that? I'm going to go up that guy, and I'm going to tell him such and such, and then I'm going to tell him such and such, and then I'm going to tell him such and such, and he's going going to know that I'm serious. And then I go up to the guy, and I finally see him out somewhere. I walk up to him, and I'm all, hey, brother, how's it going? He goes, hey, man, I'm good. I love you. How are you doing? I go, I just sucked all the red off your lollipop. You have no more argument. And because I know those things have happened in your life, I know there's storms in your life that you need to get over and beat. And I want to talk to you about the single greatest way to do that today. I don't know if you've been paying attention to or thematically to what we're discussing. But I haven't taught this sermon like probably a lot of you thought I would. Defeating the fight in our head that i would tell you a bunch of how to's that i would tell you about the fight that you're fighting instead thematically i've tried to do one thing to convince you who you are and that god is sufficient because let me tell you if you could build confidence in that every other storm in your life will go away the biggest problem in Christianity always, always has been in my mind, is that we don't know the God that we serve. And because we don't know the God that we serve, we don't know who we are. And our lack of identity creates a lack of value in us. That's true. And so we need to get our identity right. And sadly, in American society, we don't typically do that. Let me explain. Let's pretend for a moment. that we're at a local gathering, get-together, even church service, and we come across a guy that, this is true for men anyway, women will just stare at each other across the room mad for no reason, but men will actually talk whether they like each other or not. I know that's a harsh generality. Uh, Probably not true. It's true. Uh, (laughs) uh, But a man, when he doesn't know someone, this conversation will go like this. He'll go up to him. he'll say, hey, how are you? And the guy will say, I'm good. How are you? And then I'll repeat back, I'm good. What's your name? Well, my name is Rick. Oh, cool, Rick, I'm Jim. Well, nice to meet you, Jim. Rick, tell me what you do for a living. That's how that conversation will start. Where it goes from there, nobody knows but I guarantee you that's how a man-to-man conversation will start. They'll introduce themselves, and then they'll define themselves by what they do. And we've got it wrong. We should, in this instant, be more like the Middle Eastern society. Middle Eastern society, instead of telling you who they are, will tell you this. This conversation will happen completely different. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. What's your name? And he'll say this, Yusef, Bin Laden, even Abraham. It's just an example. And there will never be a what do you do question. Do you know what he's just told his buddy? Or this new guy that he's just met? He's just said, My name is Yousef. I'm the son of Laden the son of Abraham. Why is that interesting? Because we identify ourselves by what we do. They identify themselves by who they belong to. And the church needs to get to where it stops identifying ourselves based on what we do and more about who we belong to. You want to defeat the storms in your head? Know who you belong to. You want all the frustrations in your life to begin to dissipate and ultimately disappear? Know who you belong to. Because you belong to the sovereign king of kings, the holy of holies, the alpha, the omega. You belong to God. Amen? As a son or a daughter of the most high king. And that in itself should cause enough peace in us to kill these storms in our life. I get asked more often than I care to three questions about love. Does God really love me? How much does God really love me? And how could God love me? Man, those are good questions. And you may have asked or even received those questions yourself, but let me tell you, The answer is yes, God really does love you. The answer is to how much more than you can measure or comprehend. And how could God love me is based not in who you are or what you are, but in who you are and who he is. First John 4, 8 says, God is love. God loves me. Not only does he love me, he loves me a lot. And he can possibly love me because it's in his nature to love. It is literally who he is. He can't know anything else. He has love for you. I'm trying to build your I'm trying to build a foundation right now as to why you can have peace instead of conflict in your head. God loves you. It's easy for me to say that for you. It's easy for me to say, Gary, God loves you. Miss Yvonne, God loves you. Phil, God loves you. I could go on, Jeff Bodine, God loves you. I could go through every person in this room, God loves you. You know what's hard? Jim, God loves you. And he loves you more than you can measure. And he loves you not because of you, but because of who he is. But you know what? It doesn't stop me from declaring that truth every day of my life anyway. Because through declaration, these lies that I've told myself, these lies that other people have told me that have created a shaky, unfirm foundation in me slowly begins to erode. And I begin to recognize how much I'm actually loved and why. And the fight, no matter how big it is, slowly begins to fade away amen i want to talk to you about that fight today and how god loves us and he proved his love to us in christ jesus now i'm going to go i'm going to teach out of a text that you guys are so familiar with you're going to immediately want to turn your brain off and say, I've heard this before, there's no thou, there's no other way I could possibly hear this same message. But let me tell you, even if you've heard it before, let it refresh you. Because I'm teaching today from John chapter 3, 14 through 16. And here I go. 14 through 16 reads like this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen. Only two points I want to make out of this whole text. First, we need God's love. I'm going to say it again. For those in the back or those not paying attention or those who have already started looking at their cell phones. We need God's love. I need it and you need it. Need God's love. There's an interesting text here in 14 and 15 that honestly the first two or three times, 15, 20 times I read it, I'm like, why are these two things together? Because remember, these we put paragraphs, we put verses in the text it was, those weren't originally there. So it has to be a succinct thought. And yet it seems so disjointed. In 14, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. And then he gives us John 3.16, which we're all familiar with. How do these two things join together? They join together because it establishes these first two verses, 14 and 15, establish the baseline for why we need Jesus in the first place. He is referring Jesus, talking to Nicodemus, is referring to a shadow of the Old Testament. A shadow is a representation of something to come. And so he's saying, listen, this thing that happened in the wilderness during the Exodus, I need you to understand that that's Jesus. And let me read what I'm talking to you about. In Numbers 21, 4 through 9, we read this. Then they set out from the Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. What did the people do? They spoke against God and Moses. They spoke against God and the one that God called to lead them. They rebelled against the truth of God's word. This is what we have done. This is what all people have done. All of us by birth and by action have rebelled and we deserve death because of that rebellion, because of that speaking against God. And you may not have actually spoke against God, but every time that you sin, you're defaming the character of God to, to creation. Did you know you're made in the image of God, which means anytime you don't act within the character of God, the creation that is, he has surrounded you by and gave you um, dominion over sees you as a reflection of God, and that reflected poorly, that deserves death in my eyes. Everybody with me so far? So this happens. They spoke against God, and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. This is what they deserve. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord, that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. So there was sin against God. There was penalty for sin against God. There was repentance. And then they asked Moses to intercede on their behalf. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, that is a pole. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, Every person who has sinned, when he looks at it, he will live. Y'all see the shadow of Jesus in this? Jesus was lifted up due to our sin. We deserve death or to be bitten. But as we look up to him on the cross, confess the name of Jesus, we're saved. And we no longer have to submit to death. I think that's beautiful. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a standard and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. And when we look upon Jesus, we live. Amen? This is what he's saying. He said, we're in need of God. The Hebrew people were in need of God. But let me tell you, so are we. We are equally in need of God. This is why the Bible says in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith that none of yourselves, but not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. We aren't capable of saving ourselves. We're not only not capable, we are guilty of sinful disobedience to God. And because of that, both by birth and by action, we deserve death. Y'all, Pastor, you're being awful harsh this morning. I'm not being harsh this morning. I am giving you the most loving message I've ever given you. That God desires a relationship with you. That God has set his own son upon a standard, even though we rebelled, so that we might have the hope of eternal life. And that he gave that gift to us freely through faith by grace. And we needed it. Let me read this text to you out of Romans chapter 3. You guys are familiar with the text for all of have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I tell you that all the time. But let me go to 10 through 12. And it says this. Why do you deserve death? It doesn't say that. Because there is none righteous. Not even one. Nobody's right standing before God. Not even one person. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God because the Spirit in us is, because we are dead in our trespasses until the Spirit moves on our behalf. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. I think that's pretty pointed language. Amen? That he says, none, none, none. All have turned aside. All have become useless. None does good, not even one. And for that, we are in the need of Jesus as Savior. And Jesus is the only Savior that we can have. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. I can't perform enough acts of kindness or of service. I can't give enough tithe. I can't work enough at the church. I can't do enough outreach. I can't, I can't do enough anything. Insert whatever it is you think has justified you outside of Jesus, and it's not enough because the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, the Lord will be saved. Not whoever writes the biggest tithe check, not the one who works the most outreaches, but the one who calls upon the name of the Lord. Amen? Acts 4, 12 tells us that there's no other name by which a man can be saved. Just Jesus. Jesus is the serpent on the standard, shadowed in the Old Testament. And we need him as much as they needed that if we hope to survive. Amen? Amen? Everybody with me so far? Why do I tell you this? Because I want you to stop fighting fights in your head. None, none, none. No, not one. No one understands. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God showed up on our behalf. I have... I'm absolutely convinced that because I recognize that and made a declaration of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, that my peace is a consequence of that decision. I'm certain that sometime before I die, or God calls me out of the pulpit, that the way our nation is declining, the moral fiber of our nation is deteriorating, that it is very likely that I could be put in prison and or killed for simply declaring the truth of God's Word. But you know what? Because of this truth, I don't fight that fight in my head anymore. I stand convictionally and tell the truth regardless of the consequence of that truth. Your divorce is going on regardless of Consequence of this truth is that you are loved. Your finances are a wreck regardless. The consequences of this truth is that you are loved. Situations going on in your life, depression, whatever it is the issue is that you might be dealing with, might just be some minor frustration at work, set it all aside, meditate on this truth and know that you don't have to struggle with that in your head because the king of kings calls you loved. We are in need of the love of God. Isn't that beautiful? Not that we're in the need of the love of God, but that God has provided that love in the form of his son, Jesus. Whew. Ain't I? Is it is it me or y'all just really paying attention? Because I'm preaching better and y'all are saying amen. It's just good. Let me talk about point number two with you real quick. Not only are we in need of God's love, but God demonstrated His love to us. Can you say this text with me? Most of you can. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Man, that was good. I might have y'all repeat that again. Y'all weren't ready the first time. You ready this time? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, I don't have you repeat that back to me so I can hear it. I have you repeat that back to me so you can hear it because the declaration out of your mouth will bring you peace. Amen? God so loved the world. That's me. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, that's me. Should not perish. That's not me. But have everlasting life. That's me. Why are we tumultuous? Why do we have conflict in our brain? God has provisionally taken care of our eternity 10,000 years from now. Whatever circumstance you're involved in, and I don't mean to minimize it, but whatever circumstance you're involved in right now will be such a small memory if you remember it at all. Better focus on the things that matter. And that is God. Through his son, Christ Jesus, saved us. I'm going to break this down for you a little bit. He demonstrated his love, and that love is immeasurable. I'm going to read you a hymn. It's one of my favorite hymns. Uh, I believe it's also Chuck and Gertrude's favorite hymn. But it reads like this. Could we with ink the ocean's fill It were the skies of parchment made. Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. Listen, that's also awful poetic. Let me tell you what that says. It says, if all of the oceans were full of ink, and all the skies were paper. If every stalk, every blade of grass, every stalk of corn, everything that had could create a stalk, every pen was a pen, and every man a scribe by trade, if every man was a writer by trade, You couldn't write the love of God in its totality across sky to sky. And that's the truth. Now, I want you to meditate on that. How deep are the oceans? Now, this isn't scripture. It's a hymn. But God proves it in that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for. He proves it. I can can write and write and write and write and never exhaust the immeasurable love of God. I love this first piece of this text. It says, For God so loved the world. There's two different ways you can read this, depending on inflection. And sadly, we don't have a way to inflect it. It says, For God so loved the world. If I just said it that way, For God so loved the world. That would literally mean God loved the world, so he gave us Jesus. This is a statement of why he came. He came because he loved us. Or perhaps the inflection should be on the word so. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know what that is? That's not a statement of purpose. That's a statement of magnitude. And I believe that the magnitude for which God loves us is much greater than we imagine. The Bible says that it is. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19 says that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend. If you know Jesus, you're already grounded in love. But it's Paul's prayer that all the saints understand the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Listen, I want you to know. I want you to know who can discover the depths of God. This is what Job asked. Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? No, we cannot. Because they're immeasurable. But you know what we can do? We can open up our word. We could pray that the Holy Spirit give us what revelation. We read our word and then we begin to meditate and ask God, God, show yourself to me. Do you think that's a prayer God will honor? Yes. Yes. Why? Because First John tells us anything we ask according to God's will, He hears us. And because He hears us, we have what we've asked for. Do you think God's playing hide-and-seek with you? He's hiding from you on purpose? It's His will that He be known by you. And since that's His will, and when we pray His will, He hears us, and we have what we ask for, then when we pray for revelation of Him, He will give it to us. Now, we're going to constantly, for the rest of our life, and probably all of eternity, Not completely comprehend the immeasurable magnitude of God's love, but we can start somewhere to destroy the storm in our head. Amen. You know why I don't worry about what my wife's doing? You know why there's no conflict in me in regard to our relationship? Because I know her. Because I've studied her. Because I've memorized her face. I've memorized her mannerisms. I've memorized her character. I know who she is. If I put her in a room full of 100 dudes look better than me and all of them were interested, she'd come home to me. You know why I know that? Because I've tested it and I've tested it and I've tested it physically and in meditation. And you can do the same thing with God. That's good. I don't care what you say. That ought to kill some storms in your head. Amen? But it's not only immeasurable, it's sacrificial. That who, uh, he said, that he who gave his only begotten son, he gave his only begotten son. He gave. What did he do? He gave. Why did he give? He gave because he is love. And love gives. Love that doesn't give isn't love, just so you know. Love always drives action. Which would be a good filter to determine whether I love God the way that I should. But love drives action. That action that God determined to take because of his so great love was to send his son Jesus. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. So he's saying, "You want an example of love? Not that we love God; He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin." Oh, that's good. Unless you don't know what propitiation is, then you're all. I think that's good. I don't. He's saying it like it's good. Let me tell you what propitiation means: the appeasement. He loved you enough to take the action to appease God. For your sin. What's he appeasing? He's appeasing God's judgment against you. And he's appeasing God's wrath against you. Which means you've been justified. You've been redeemed. You're currently sanctified. Moving towards progressive sanctification. And ultimately perfection. All because Jesus Christ. Because of the love of God. Determined to appease God. By his own sacrifice. He gave because that's what love does. Gosh. I mean, what else what response can we give him other than to love him back? In whatever finite way we're able to. I get asked, I've been asked, not in a while, but I've been asked, why do you spend your life in ministry? Because you know, as a cop before this, that's pretty good. I had a twenty year law enforcement career. Had probably reached the pinnacle of law enforcement working at the academy, teaching other cops to be cops. I had a good job. And when I left there, several people asked me, why would you give up this to go do that? And I told them because God gave up everything so that I could. And although I know I can't pay him back, I'm going to spend every minute of my life trying. Because I love him. My love requires action. Because you love him, if in fact you love him, your love requires action. Amen? And I'm just trying to help you out. Hmm. He took our place and paid our debt. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Let me break that down for you. How many of you guys work for a living? You receive a wage for the hours you put in? Right. So the wage of your work is whatever it is. The wage that you have coming because of the work that you put in is death. You put in all the work. Jesus, as a free gift from God, took your death's paycheck and cashed it upon himself. That's how much he loves you. That's the action that he took. And I am humbled by it. And I pray that you are humbled by it. God's love is obtainable. It's not just immeasurable. It's not just sacrificial. It's obtainable. In 16c, it says this, that whosoever believes in him. You know what I love about God? He didn't make it hard on us. He made it hard on himself, but he didn't make it hard on us. People say grace is free, and it is, but it wasn't free to him. It cost him everything, but he offers it to you for free. He loves us because he is love. We don't have to beg him to love us. The only thing that's required of us is faith alone and Christ alone. Did y'all hear that? Yes. Ain't nobody causing you to asking you to write a check. Ain't nobody asking you to donate time. Ain't nobody asking you to do anything except for have the faith that's already been seated in you. And take that faith, declare Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you shall be saved. It doesn't get any more obtainable than that. It's like finding a diamond on top of the ground. Hey, you have to mind that. I just had to have enough faith to walk over and pick it up, believe it belonged to me. Because it belongs to you. Amen. This is what the Bible says in regard to faith. 2 Corinthians 5 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews eleven six: 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him. Or he who comes to God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Our faith, declared in Christ Jesus, offers us a reward and that reward is eternal life but right now that award is peace kill me stone me to death cut my head off put me in prison whatever it is needs to be done let me tell you I've made that decision already because I know where I'm going I know who I belong to. And if God is for me, literally, who can be against me? How hard can the struggle be right now that only exists for a little while in view of an eternal life with God? And so the last thing I tell you is God's love promises eternity. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 1 John 2:25 says this is the promise which he himself made to us eternal life. Can God lie? No. So if God made us a promise how much of how much of ourselves can we stake on that promise? All of ourselves. Why? because he can't lie and he tells us eternal life so we could say we will have eternal life John 6:40 for this is the will of the father that everyone beholding the son and believing in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day no longer under judgment forever in his presence man I love this because it gives me confidence that I am And that love that God has for me literally destroys anxiety, fear, frustration, whatever fight you're fighting in your head. But let me tell you, the love of God and the peace that comes with Him requires a declaration of Jesus Christ as Lord. That means Lord. That means your life doesn't belong to you anymore. We cafeteria style our lordship. We say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make Jesus Lord as long as he did not ask me to do that. That's not lordship. Oh, I like this, but I don't like that. It doesn't matter what you like. You have to live your life according to the word of God. That is lordship which means I have to make my decisions, my schedule, my calendar, my relationships around the Word of God and what the Word of God declares over me. Amen? But the reward is eternal life by faith in Christ Jesus. So I don't know where you are today. But if you haven't made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, if you haven't made a confession, if you've made a confession and then slipped away according to, allowed yourself to slip away according to Hebrews 2.1, can I tell you you're one prayer away from righteousness?